But I think we're in good shape now. We're in good shape now? All right. Sorry. Ah, where was I? <laughs> competitive marathoners. That's where I was. Uh, competitive marathoners. I'm just amazed at the grit and determination that it takes to be a competitive marathoner as they spend uh, countless hours alone, uh, often injured, uh, burnt out from, from the training, uh, just sick and tired of it, bored to death, uh, and running over 100 miles a week oftentimes to prepare to be a competitive marathoner. Uh, and they do that daily uh, to achieve their goal. Uh, and the, the way it works with marathoning is, is that you have to run more and more miles every week to build on what you've done before to, to, to become fit enough to run a marathon. And so uh, as they're doing that, these marathoners are training uh, to become more fit. And, and sometimes uh, levels of fitness you know, jump up in kind of leaps and bounds uh, in, in peaks and plateaus. And sometimes uh, you run hard for a long time and you don't seem to see any fruits of it. And sometimes you even go backwards uh, in your training as injuries and burnout kind of take their toll on you. Uh, and so one thing that's, that's sure about marathoning is that uh, you have to have grit and determination uh, to be successful at it, and uh, it's always going to be accompanied by adversity along the way. And when we come to talk about the gospel, it, it really advances the same way. Uh, sometimes when the gospel is preached, large numbers of people uh, will be converted and they'll receive the Lord Jesus. And, and other times, maybe one or two will be converted, and sometimes none will be converted at all. And, and other times, uh, the preacher will be jeered and thrown, have, have fruit and apples and tomatoes and stuff thrown at him. So uh, that happens too. Uh, so one thing we know about uh, the gospel is that it can advance quickly or slowly, but it certainly takes grit and determination uh, to advance the gospel. Uh, and the gospel preaching is always going to be accompanied by adversity. And so as we come to our passage today, we're going to see uh, that the gospel is progressing, uh, but the way the gospel progresses is by people with grit and determination trying to advance the gospel and then having this persecution that always follows the gospel follow uh, right behind them. So uh, as we come to our passage, we'll start by looking at uh, verses 12 through 16, and here we will see the progress of the gospel. And so we'll read it, uh, verses 12 through 16. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed." So remember that the death of Ananias and Sapphira were still very much fresh in the people's minds. And, and great fear, of course, came over these new believers as they saw God's holiness and, and the conduct, the standard of living that they had to keep uh, to, to conform to God's holiness and, the, and what he demands. And so uh, here's Luke, and he's going to take another opportunity now to deliver uh, one of his progress reports on the state of the church. And, and we've seen this in Acts chapter 2, he gives a progress report. In Acts chapter 4, he gives a progress report. And this here is his third one 
Uh, but this one is much more uh, outwardly focused uh, about what the gospel, how the, how the church is growing and expanding and how it's reaching uh, other people. And it's all about the progress of the gospel and the growth of the church. Uh, Satan's attempt to destroy the church from the inside with Ananias and Sapphira had failed. Uh, the church was prevailing. The gospel was spreading. Uh, more people were being converted and more people were hearing the good news. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ was prevailing. Uh, so when we look at this growth in the first century church, I see three areas of growth uh, in these few verses. And the first one I see is the growth in the number of apostles performing these signs and wonders. Now, up to now, only Peter and John were performing these signs and wonders. Uh, but now, apparently, all of the apostles are performing these signs and wonders. These things are happening through their hands. And it's probably because so many people are coming to them uh, that Peter and John can't minister to all of these people. We have thousands of people coming now. And so it would be nice if signs and wonders were specifically identified, aside from the healing of the lame man and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're not specifically identified. We're just told that many signs and wonders are happening at their hands, and, and these tend to be uh, uh, synonymous with miracles. So they're doing miracles and signs and wonders, uh, and, and it's happening at the, uh, at the apostles' hands. And so they met at this place that we've seen before called Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Colonnade there along the left side uh, of the temple. And if you were standing under it, uh, this is what it would look like, and it's a very long run. Uh, you could fit literally thousands of people under there. And so uh, you can imagine that with thousands of people needing to be ministered to, it was probably going to require more than just Peter and John who would be able uh, to do the uh, work of, of the healing and the signs and wonders that were happening. So we have a growth in the number of apostles doing the work. And we have this word again. They were all of one accord. There's our, our Greek word that we've talked about several times, homothumadon. Uh, they're all of one mind, one, of, one accord. Unity in the church is what we see uh, as, we, as we talk about this first century church. But what's interesting is that we get to verse 13. And here it says, none of the rest dared associate with them. And so we wonder, who are these people? Who are the rest? Uh, some commentators say that these are Jews who, although uh, highly esteemed the people and were very curious about all the signs and wonders that were going on, that they would not uh, engage with them, at least to the extent that they were going to join uh, this church. Uh, and then there are other people who think that these uh, folks are new believers, uh, but yet they're afraid to associate with the church because these new believers uh, now understand the standard of conduct that is required because they've just seen what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, they understand that uh, uh, the uh, Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, are, are increasingly ant antagonizing and persecuting these guys. And they're you know, happy just to stand back and, and not face the persecution, uh, but believe at the same time. And so uh, it's probably some of each. There are probably some Jews there, because wherever there are uh, signs and wonders happening, certainly that's going to draw a crowd, curious people who want to see what's going on. Uh, but also, I'm sure that there were some new believers there who were just afraid uh, to get in too deep. You know, people who will be standing at the door but not ready to join in with the crowd. Well, I'm just going to assume that there are some of these new believers in this congregation uh, of people who are standing outside or who are part of none of the rest and just make a point of application here. 
And that is, is that God does not want undercover agents, right? Uh, he's not looking for secret agents. He's not looking for halfway Christians. Uh, God is looking for people, men and women, who are wholly committed to his word, uh, wholly committed to the spread of the gospel. And uh, you know, I recognize that these are new believers. And sometimes, you know, a new believer is going to be on fire, right? And he's going to tell everybody he knows about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his salvation. Uh, but other times when you're a new believer, like I was, I was a little hesitant to go out and tell my story uh, to the world. And so some of these people may have been that kind of new believer, that they were, um, they were new believers, but they were a little hesitant to tell their friends and family for what that might mean for them. Uh, so I understand that. It takes longer uh, to have the courage to go out and, and be willing to share your faith, and, and even longer, perhaps, to be even willing to die for your faith. And that's what was at stake here. They could die for their faith, these new believers. Uh, so that's them, but what about us? Uh, most of us have no such excuse. Uh, we've been believers for a very long time. We're under no threat of death. And so uh, if we are still undercover agents for Christ, that's a problem. Uh, we need to be bold in our witness. Uh, we need to uh, not be afraid to go out and live a life that is openly and outwardly Christian so people will look at us and see something different in us. So be bold in your witness. Don't be afraid to live your life publicly as a Christian. Uh, I don't want anybody to ever say about me, oh, oh I didn't even know he was a Christian. Uh, wouldn't that be a sad thing to have said about you? Not only would it be sad, but it's also pretty scary. Uh, Matthew, or in Matthew, Jesus said this, um, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty scary. So we want to be sure that we're outwardly proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. But even scarier, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If people don't know you are a Christian, examine yourself and be sure that you are. And then go out and live your life as a Christian boldly so people know uh, that, that you've taken a stand for Jesus. So that's what we see here. We see growth in these number of apostles, growth in the number of people in the church now. Uh, the second place where I see growth here in verses 14 and 15. You know, after the Holy Spirit came, uh, the church grew immediately to 3,000 people. And then after uh, the healing of the lame man, uh, we have the number quickly expanding to 5,000 people. And the church is growing and growing. Uh, you guys rem may remember back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, McDonald's used to have signs outside of their restaurants. And they would look something like this. They would count the number of people and the number of hamburgers sold, right? Uh, 50 billion, 80 billion, now 99 billion uh, after a while, they just couldn't keep track anymore, right? So uh, there are new McDonald's restaurants pop popping up by the thousands in our country and around the world, and they probably just couldn't keep track anymore. So instead of you know, having to go up there and change that sign every other week, they put up a sign like this that says, now billions and billions being served, right? And so you don't have to have uh, some guy up there changing the number every other week. You can just say billions and billions, and that covers the multitude of people who are being served. And, and Luke's doing the same thing here. Instead of taking a head count all the time, because there are so many people coming that he couldn't keep track of it, he just uses a phrase like uh, multitudes and multitudes were coming. 
Uh, Luke never pr provides a specific number anymore of, of the size of the church. We just know that it's growing uh, rapidly. And of course, as these signs and wonders increase, uh, the number of these believers increase. And it started with the healing of one lame man. And now you have people coming from all over the place uh, to be healed. Once the word got out uh, that people were starting to be healed, well, people are coming from all over the place uh, to be healed. And it, it's like uh, you never knew how many friends you had until you hit the lottery, right? Then you find out you have a whole lot of friends. And, and that's what was happening in this first century church as these signs and wonders are being performed and people are being healed. You have people coming from all over the place. And so the healthy are carrying the sick people out. Uh, and they want to lay them on cots and lay them on pallets so that perhaps even just Peter's shadow uh, would cross in front of them. Uh, there was an ancient superstition that said that uh, a person's shadow was an extension of that person's uh, personality and power. And so it may be that the people were coming out because of uh, the shadow. But notice that the text does not say one way or the other whether the people were being healed by the shadow or not. So it may be that they were coming because of the superstition. It may simply mean uh, that the people were coming just to get in within a shadow's length of Peter so that they could have a chance to be healed. Or it may actually be uh, that Peter's shadow was actually healing people. So talk about signs and wonders uh, if that happened to be the case. And so we see uh, this growth, this amazing growth in the number of people, these number of believers as this first century church was exploding. And finally, we're going to see here the growth in the geographic influence. You remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And here, for the first time, we are starting to see uh, the, the first geographic uh, expansion of the gospel as people are coming from the surrounding towns. It says from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem are coming to be healed. And so uh, the word is getting out. The, the word is spreading beyond Jerusalem. Uh, and, and people from all cities were coming around to be healed of their sickness and their affliction with unclean spirits. And I can just imagine uh, the streets of Jerusalem starting to look like Times Square uh, on New Year's Eve as there are just throngs and throngs of people filling these streets uh, coming to be healed and also to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we think about all these amazing things that are going on, I want to remind you of the prayer that the apostles prayed when they were released from the power and the, the trial of the Sanhedrin back in Acts chapter 4. This is what they prayed. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So let's just notice two things here. First, these apostles went out and preached boldly as the Lord gave them power. So prayer number one, check, right? They, God answered their prayer. They went out and preached boldly in the face of great danger. And secondly, uh, God answered their prayer very specifically by continuing to perform these signs and wonders through the hands of the apostles. Uh, and it's a, it's a great thing that he did that because it's the signs and wonders that he did that was authenticating the words that these apostles uh, were preaching. And we've seen this before in Acts. The miracles and the signs and wonders uh, generally precede an opportunity that Peter is going to have to preach the message. And so you have these incredible works, and then you have Peter's explanation of why these things are happening, and it promotes 
the spread of the gospel. And uh, these miracles are about to get the apostles arrested again, and that's going to result in another opportunity for Peter to preach. So we see adversity following the progress of the gospel all the time. I want to add a point of application here, uh, and that is, is that prosperity gospel preachers use verses like they were all being healed uh, to argue that God doesn't want anyone to ever suffer and that everybody has to be healthy and happy all the time. And I call that fake news. Uh, that, is not, that is not true. Uh, I think that God used these first century healings to promote uh, the spread of the gospel, to authenticate the message uh, that, that these apostles were preaching, and God uses healings uh, even today when he wants to, but not everybody gets healed, right? There is a purpose uh, for God uh, to do his healing when he does it. Uh, we have the Bible now, and so we don't depend on miraculous healings to know that we have God's presence. God is present in his word, and he's present in our souls by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus uh, in Luke chapter 16. Remember, uh, they both died, the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man goes to Hades, and uh, the rich man says, calls across the chasm to Abraham and says, uh, Abraham, please uh, send Lazarus to my brothers so they will not come to this place of terrible torment. And, and, and what does Abraham say? He says, he says no, uh, if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe even if somebody is raised from the dead. So we don't depend on miraculous signs and wonders to prove that God is among us. We have the word of God now, and we depend on the word of God. Uh, and I'm not saying, uh, please don't hear me say, that, that God does not perform healings today. He most certainly does. Uh, why some are healed and some are not, uh, we don't know. That's within God's providence. But he allows sickness in people's lives, uh, sometimes for a specific purpose. Uh, sometimes it's for discipline. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, uh, some of you uh, are sick and some have even fallen asleep because you were not taking the Lord's Supper the right way. Uh, and other times, uh, people are sick simply because we live in a fallen world. And other times, people are sick and sometimes people are dying uh, simply because God wants to increase that person's spiritual maturity so that we will come to rely on God uh, more than we come to rely on ourselves and to give us an incredible testimony of how God healed us uh, when it looked like we were not going to be healed. And so God can heal somebody whenever he wants to. And it's right for us to pray for people to be healed, but it's also right to recognize uh, that it's within God's providence to heal. And if we pray for a quick, quick healing, we may be praying for something that would thwart God's purpose in the sickness. So we always pray for healing, but we also pray that God's will be done uh, for his glory. So we have all this healing going on. And what do you think these Sadducees and the Sanhedrin are doing while this was going on? They did not join the party, as you might gather. Uh, these guys were rallying themselves, rallying the troops uh, to continue their persecution. So what we'll see here is the apostles now being persecuted as persecution always follows progress. And so uh, we'll read verses 17 through 26. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. 
At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, preaching or teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. I told you a couple of weeks ago that the Sadducees were not going to go down easy, right? They're not going to go down without a fight. Uh, they were quite influential and powerful still. Uh, even though there were thousands and thousands of people who were becoming Christians, uh, the Sadducees, uh, who uh, dominated the Sanhedrin, the, the council of, of the ruling Jews, they still had the power of the temple police force behind them. These are armed guards with the authority uh, to go out and, and do violence uh, to keep order. And so the text says that the high priest, who was most likely still Caiaphas at this time, and all his associates uh, were filled with jealousy. The Greek word literally means to boil. Uh, so these guys are boiling over with anger. Picture like a, a cartoon character with his face turning bright red and steam coming out of his ears. That's the picture here uh, of this kind of jealousy and rage. They were just filled uh, with jealous rage. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, only Peter and John were arrested. But here, all of the apostles are arrested. They, they, they laid hands on all of them, and they threw them in this public jail. Uh, and from here, uh, they were in trouble because they did uh, several things, right? The first thing they did was they forgot or simply neglected uh, or simply disobeyed the uh, Sanhedrin's uh, pleas with them, their, their charge, you will not preach the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, we will preach the name of Christ. And so they, they refuted, uh, they, they, they disobeyed the orders. And then second, they refuted the Sanhedrin's own doctrine, which was, we don't believe in a resurrection. And these apostles are going around and they're proving that Jesus Christ was resurrected and he's alive. So uh, they're doubly in trouble. And then finally, uh, the jealousy of these guys uh, got them into such a lather that they said, we are going to lay hands on these guys and we're going to throw them uh, into prison. And so the Sadducees were the cream of society uh, in Israel, and yet these uneducated, untrained men are being followed and adored by these masses. And, and so uh, their pride and their jealousy and their envy got the best of them, and they wanted to take these guys out. And so here's something we have to be careful of ourselves. Uh, jealousy can tear us up inside, and it shows itself when we are, are jealous and we covet things that other people have. Uh, we, we want the success that other people have for, have for ourselves. You know, Bette Midler, the uh, actress and the singer, said, the worst thing about success is that you can't find anybody who is happy for you. And I think that's a sad statement, especially in Hollywood, right? That everybody is so jealous and so competitive of each other uh, that you can't find anybody who's happy when you have success. And so we have to be careful not to become jealous like that. And you know, even the Bible is full of jealous people. Uh, Hagar was jealous when, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sarah was jealous when Hagar conceived by Abraham. And uh, Saul was, was jealous when David was getting all the acclaim. And, and 
uh, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him when he got this beautiful multicolored coat and his father Jacob seemed to love him the best. And Miriam and Aaron were jealous when, when Moses was the one with all the power. Uh, so often insecurity, pride, and selfishness lead to jealousy. Uh, but in these biblical examples, jealousy always resulted in tragedy. And so we have to be careful about jealousy. We have to be content uh, to be happy with what God has given us. And I struggle with this personally. I, I would love to be a great musician or an incredible athlete. And uh, I stopped growing at five foot seven, which was kind of annoying to me. Uh, so never a great athlete was I going to be. So, uh, but I, I still struggle with that. You know, I would love to have been that for, for, for myself. But, you know, when, when you are rejecting the gifts that God has given you, you're basically saying, uh, God, I'm, I'm telling you that you made a mistake. Uh, I'm telling you that I'm not happy with the way you've gifted me. And, and all the while, I'm coveting someone else's gifts. So uh, we have to be happy to be used the way God wants to use us. And he gifted us the way he wants to use us. So let's not covet other people's gifts. It's also dangerous for a church to be jealous too. You know, um, Gateway just had a conference over the weekend, right? That 5,000 men attended this, this conference at Gateway. And, you know, we can look at other churches and say, you know, why aren't we 5,000 people strong? Well, we have to be content with what God has given us. And God has given us this mighty band of 80 to 100 warriors that I see in this room who are willing uh, to go out and preach the gospel. And, and if he brings more to us, that's wonderful. But if he doesn't, uh, we can do a lot. A uh, bunch of people like us who are committed to the word, we can do great things. Uh, so let's be content with how God uses us as individuals and how God uses us as a church. All right, so we've seen the arrest in verses uh, 17 and 18. Uh, let's look now at the release. You know, the Sadducees, they planned to detain these apostles overnight, and then they were going to bring them back in the morning like they did in Acts chapter 4, amidst all this pomp and circumstance, and bring these guys in and, and just intimidate them and, and try to get them to stop preaching the gospel. Uh, but God had other ideas. He sends an angel who frees these apostles from prison. Uh, and, and what happens? They send for them the next morning. Uh, the jail is locked. The guards are standing their posts, but there's nobody inside. Uh, and so it, it's, it's confounding to these uh, Sanhedrin uh, that they weren't there. God sent this angel and he says, go preach the whole message of life in the temple courts. And that seems to be synonymous with the message of salvation uh, that Peter's already preached three separate times in Acts, and he's going to preach it again. So when the, and the next morning comes and the Sanhedrin doesn't find them there, uh, the, gospel, or the, the word here that, the, that says is that uh, they were perplexed. And I think that's an interesting word, that they were perplexed. I think it means, I think that's kind of a soft word. I think they were stunned, mystified, confounded, uh, greatly agitated, freaked out by what was going on because this was... They're behind a locked, guarded jail cell. How are these guys out? Uh, incidentally, this is the first of three jailhouse rescues in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12, we're going to see Peter uh, released by an angel uh, from prison when Herod was going to kill him the next morning. And in Acts chapter 16, we're going to see an earthquake that frees all the prisoners from their shackles from the Philippian jail. Uh, and we'll see Paul and Silas uh, back then in Acts chapter 16. So uh, God is certainly not constrained by how he can rescue us from whatever difficulty we find ourselves in. And I hope you know that in your own lives. Uh, what mountains do you have in your life that you think God cannot overcome? 
1 Samuel 14, uh, 6 says that God is, is mighty to save by many or by few. He can do it any way he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it. He's mighty to save. Believe that and ask God for what you need. There's nothing he cannot do. So greatly perplexed these guys are, uh, and they don't know what to make of this. And, and uh, then it says that they had no idea what would come of this. And, and I think, yeah, they had no idea what would come of this because these guys are the people in authority. And if they can't keep 12 guys uh, inside a locked jailhouse that is guarded, uh, do you think they might lose some respect from the people? Do you think they might lose their authority? I'm sure they're standing there thinking, we're going to lose our position. We're going to lose our place. Look, the whole world is going after these guys. And what is going to become of us? They would be a laughing stock in front of the people. But before they even get to discuss these things among themselves, somebody brings a report and says, those guys that used to be in the prison, they're in the temple courts and they're preaching the word. And so you can imagine that the Sanhedrin, their heads are spinning. They're like, what are these guys doing preaching in the temple courts? Uh, why would they go and do that? They were, they were in jail with their lives in danger. And why would they go to the most public place in the entire city and preach the word when their lives are on the line? Well, the Sanhedrin had a lot to learn about the power of the Holy Spirit to give these guys the courage that they needed to stand up in the face of their great authority. And so the officers bring them back without violence because uh, they certainly could have been stoned by the people. You have 5,000 plus multitudes more being added, and you have a temple police force. Uh, they're probably out in riot gear trying to prevent themselves from getting injured as they bring these apostles back. And so uh, they bring them back without violence because they are afraid of the people. Uh, and even though uh, they, were, they were armed, they certainly could have been stoned. And what we'll do is we'll look at the trial that happens next week. But for now, I want to talk about lessons for us uh, in this passage, and we'll save the, the, the trial for next week. So the first thing I want us to do this week is to make a list of the things that God has set you free from. These first century Christians had been set free from slavery to the law. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were set free by the Sanhedrin after they could not be uh, convicted. Now in Acts chapter 5, they have been set free uh, from this jail in which they could potentially face death the next day. And so one specific thing that we can do to worship God this week is to sit down with a paper and pencil and just write down the things that God has freed you from. Uh, I started my list, and I'll tell you some of the things that are on it. Uh, God has freed me uh, from the slavery to sin of unbelief. God has freed me from slavery to an unfulfilling and unfruitful career and given me uh, this position uh, to, to be a member of this amazing church and get to stand up here and preach his word uh, every week. Uh, God has freed me from a fear of man uh, that is, was, was so debilitating that, that I really couldn't even deal with it. Uh, he, he's, he's freed me from slavery of pride so great that uh, I have a hard time admitting that I'm even wrong. And, and God has done this work in my life, and, and he's working, and I'm, I'm going to add 50 more things to my list of things that God has freed me from. And I pray that you'll sit down with a paper and pencil today and just worship God that way. God, thank you for setting me free uh, from all of these things. And, and thank you for giving me the freedom uh, to worship Christ. So 
That's the first thing I want us to do. The second thing I want us to do is to put away any jealousy that may be in our hearts. Don't be like the Sadducees who couldn't stand that these people were getting the adoration and accolades from all the people. I still get a little melancholy when I go to a concert and I watch all that awesome talent on stage that I don't have, but it's okay. Uh, God has given me other gifts too, and God has given you gifts uh, as well. We have to learn to be content with who God made us to be, and we serve God according to the gifts that he has given us. So ask yourself specific questions. Uh, is there anyone whose spiritual, uh, financial, or professional success makes me unhappy or jealous or envious? Uh, is there anybody who I like genuinely root against in life? Like I don't want to see that person do well for whatever reason. Uh, that's, that's a problem, right? If we have that kind of jealousy inside of us. Uh, you young people, you may be jealous of someone else's Mustang or class rank or, or that they're king of the prom or, or who their girlfriend or boyfriend is. Uh, jealousy has no restrictions uh, on age, right? Jealousy affects us all. Uh, and so if you have a bitter root like that in you, uh, just ask God to pull that bitter root out. Jealousy is a lot like unforgiveness. Uh, it's a lot like uh, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? We have to pull this bitter root of us out. So put away jealousy. Uh, make a list of the things that God has set you free from. And finally, hope in Jesus attracts us to the gospel and it sustains us in times of trouble. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. That's the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel that attracts us to Jesus in the first place. And it's the beauty of the one so perfect and so pure that he would be willing to lay down his life for sinful creatures like ourselves. Uh, and it's the majesty of one so absolutely sovereign that he was in complete control of all the circumstances that were necessary to happen for him to go to the cross and die that atoning death for us. And it's the recognition that this one who was so in control of those events of his own life is also in control of the events of our lives too. And it's the knowledge of the goodness and our trust and hope in him that makes it possible for us to get through life's difficulties when life's difficulties come our way. Why didn't the apostles run when they were freed? The real question is, why would they? They saw with their own eyes that God was in complete control of all of their circumstances and nothing bad was going to happen to them outside of God's permission and allowance. And they knew that, and we ought to know that too. Nothing can happen to us outside of going through God's hands. They knew God was in control of the situation in their lives, and he's control, in control of the situation in our lives too. And so if we can trust God with our eternity, surely we can trust him for our today and our tomorrow, right? Praise God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son who died on the cross for us. We thank you for your word that enlightens us, Lord, uh, that empowers us to go out and preach the gospel boldly, Lord, to not water it down, to not accommodate it to uh, a world that doesn't want to hear it, Lord. Truth is truth, and we speak the truth, Lord. We, we don't allow anybody to tell us that truth is relative, uh, that that truth works fine for you, but that's not truth for me. Lord, your word is truth for everybody, for all time. And we go out 
and preach it boldly, Lord. Give us the courage to do so as we want to draw people to yourself, Lord, uh, a people who does not believe, Lord, who, a people who do not know you, and Lord, help us to go from here and tell the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. We ask for your boldness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.